the node in the network that failed also, like if you could add this mm. caveat to it, is that the, the mm. node in the network, once it failed, because I'll tell you, like, I don't know if you, I don't know if anyone knows this, but I've had three podcasts as of now. Like I had, I had, I had the voices of lost time, which is just like, it was just like me and my friends, like getting high and like talking about yeah. whatever and yeah. in my house. And it was so all over the place and it, I wasn't very seasoned or whatever. So I, I, it's all on private on YouTube. Maybe someday I'll just like open the flood out some of the good stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, but, and then, and then it was the daily discussion, which was like slightly better. I'm hoping that the archive mm. is slightly better than the daily discussion, but I, I feel that way about, about life that mm. you have to fail in order to restart. Mm -hmm. And then when you restart, you're better equipped, which is, which goes back to this whole theme of this, what we've been talking about today is that yeah, yeah. failure is a good thing. If you're willing mm. to like learn from that failure and refine right. your process node in the network could be like that like if you gave it the right. ability to understand its failure not just mm. program it to be able to fail but program it to be able to recognize when it fails and that way it can rebuild bringing complex ideas down to earth based on their value night group identity this is the daily archetype If you want someone to remain ignorant, just make sure they think in groups of identity rather than groups of values. Let's promote understanding, not ignorance. This is the Daily Archetype. Hello, archetypal friends. I'm Isaac Miller, your host, on the show where we're constantly rebuilding our value structures. Today, I had a very good friend, Connor, from the archive, which is the relaunch of the Daily Discussion, which was a very powerful podcast and Facebook group that was very inspirational and influential on this group and podcast. We got deep into a lot of different issues, including motivation, fear, success, failure, bravery, creativity, real life artificial intelligence theories, marriage in the modern world, and much, much more. I'll leave some links in the show notes if you wanna know more about Connor, what he's doing with his projects. Also, he and I will be on each other's shows every few weeks, so stay tuned for that. And there will be a short audio clip of Alan Watts at the end of this that's related to what we talk about here. Please support on the social medias. Please share this podcast with a friend or any of your favorite podcasts of The Daily Archetype. Or share it on your social media. That would be massively appreciated you get anything out of this of value please join the facebook group the daily archetype and follow on all the social medias as the daily archetype you can also support on patreon.com slash daily archetype now enjoy the episode welcome to the daily archetype a value sharing community 
All right, we are live recording with the infamous Connor. What's up, man? This is actually our first time being on just like pure one-on-one together instead mm-hmm. of like other people popping in and all that stuff or being on other shows or whatever. Well, for a while you were doing like six people deep, five people deep. Oh yeah, that. back in uh, April when we were getting into those, I don't know if you'd call them debates or discussions. <laughs> yeah. Although to be completely honest, Sometimes I would schedule a bunch of people uh, just in case somebody flaked. Get everybody in one, right? But now that I'm like some big famous podcaster guy with yeah. a fancy show that I produce, people are actually showing up, so I don't really need to do that anymore. <laughs> and I do just want to say, man, that I've really been appreciating your hustle lately. Like, you've really been shining. You've had some interesting guests. Um, I saw that your podcast was downloaded in all seven continents. That's a huge milestone. Um, and just like the fact that you've had like Uber Boyo and what was that older gentleman? Oh, thank you. Uh, but which gentleman? You said the future president or whatever. Oh, Rodney Norman, the comedian philosopher. Rodney Norman. He was super interesting, man. So yeah, yeah. He's so cool. Yeah. I'm really been enjoying your content lately. So keep it up, man. I'm, I'm impressed. Wow. Thank you. But you know what surprised me doing podcasting for this short time? It's really only been a couple months. There's very limited financial reward but i'll say that the personal growth is just really surprising to me sure i mean i've only been doing this in the official podcasting format or whatever for just a couple months or so and it feels like to me that's been more personal growth than what i would have received doing anything else for like maybe a year or two That was one thing that I noticed uh, right away doing podcasts is that I learned more from like one podcast, like one Mm. one hour long podcast, having a real intimate conversation with somebody than I did in pretty much all my time in school. Now that might just be because I didn't really like school and I didn't pay attention that much. I didn't like the way it was structured, but yeah. And if they could implement or integrate this type of learning into the schools, I feel like our generations would be so much more so much more intelligent and competent if they could do it this way. But yeah, well, it's nobody comes to me for the answer. Well, it's because it's not just that we're having these interesting, deep conversations. It's that the whole format of it makes you have to really engage. Right. Especially compared to nowadays, even if you go to school, I mean, of course you can be a good student and you can learn a lot, but for the most part, it's just like, okay, what do I got to do to get an A or get the degree or whatever? You know, even if you're like a good student and really interested in learning, not everybody is. So it's hard to really, you know, get the most out of it. Whereas this, it's not, and also it's not just that it makes you engage for the hour, couple hours or whatever. It's that, you know, I would listen to podcasts before, but it's just like, it would be on while I was working, right. driving, whatever. But now it's like, I'll listen to podcasts and books and everything else to prepare for, you know, doing this. And then you know, the, the best way to learn is to learn to be able to teach what you learned. So when you take in a book or a class or anything, if you can then turn around and teach it to somebody pretty quick and with that mindset, which, which is sort of like what you do in a good podcast is right. you're doing it all kind of simultaneously. Yeah. Well, I think that when you just listen to a podcast idly, yeah, yeah. you're kind of fostering an environment where you could become kind of like a parrot where you could tell somebody an interesting thing that you heard on a podcast and you might even use the words that they used verbatim. But when you actually have a podcast, 
I feel like what you're trying to do is you're trying to take things that you've learned and find your own way to, to, to verbalize it. And I think that's where the difficulty comes in. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where the learning comes in. Yeah. And it just like, it, it makes you like, uh, really apply yourself. Like, I don't know how many chances I'm going to get to talk to this person or that person. And right. when I do, it's only going to be, uh, sometimes 45 minutes or an hour. I want to make sure that I get the most of it. So it like, it just, and then even like in the editing or just listening to it afterward, mm -hmm. then I'll start to notice things that I never would have noticed otherwise, like how I could do the dialogue a little bit better or how to improve the dialectic. Yeah. Not just what I'm saying and how I'm asking the questions, but how to sculpt a better dialectic or at least to start keeping that more in mind slowly get better at this whole process because otherwise it's just like i'm floating through life talking to people just thinking okay everything's great but when you really have to sit down and listen to yourself sometimes for hours to edit a one-hour podcast it makes you really have to deal with those little things that you wouldn't notice right. otherwise. well it's like when i did that podcast with akira the dawn one one question that inhabited me organically while i was talking to him is just like how much cause i don't know if you guys know who that is but he he, he takes like famous speeches and then yeah. quantizes it onto beats that he made. And, and, and he has thousands of songs, I think. And I just wondered, I asked him, I was like, how much have you learned just listening to these speeches over mm. and over again? And, and, and he said it was, it, was, it was actually quite a lot. Like it was more than yeah. he anticipated that he had gained as far as. Yeah, and honestly, that's something, that's definitely something I wanna do more of when I have time. I don't know if you had the chance to listen to my episode zero. Yeah. But it was about half doing that sort of thing, sampling together essentially the Alan Watts chill step with some other lectures and what I was saying and some music and audiobooks. Yeah. Okay. This part of this speech or whatever, whether it's Alan Watts, Jordan Peterson, Carl Jung, some that I did in that, it's it like you really boil it down to like, what's really important, like you get the best stuff out and you put it in there and then you, you put it in a certain order. And then in the process of listening to it over, like there's, like there's so many things that like I was wondering if anybody ever got, but I only got out of those things because I listened to it like a bunch of times while I was doing it. Like, uh, yeah, there's this part where uh, Alan Watts is talking about how swans don't, I think it's swans or yeah, swans, they don't understand what they're doing but they'll be fighting because really they're trying to mate and their mating starts out as fighting. And then at some point it turns into lovemaking. He was talking about this, right. This chat that he had with, uh, just like, just like us, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Just like human beings for the most part, because he was talking yeah. to, uh, Carl Jung, who he had a, a talk with as I think mm -hmm. they watched that happen. And he's like talking about, Oh, aren't they, um, monogamous Carl Jung's like, yeah, I've had the most interesting, conversations with some of my female clients about how they thought they were homosexuals after seeing this swan mating. Alan Watts clarified that he's understanding to the ways that sexuality can be. Right. But see, that's just the thing that underneath conflict is its opposite, which is love that heals the conflict. But most people want to label conflict avoidance is something else they don't want to admit that they're just cowards so right. they avoid conflict and sure there's real homosexuality and everything else 
but relationships are really, really hard with anybody. And so sometimes when we're going through relationship issues, we want to call it this or that when we're just kind of avoiding conflict. I mean, I'm guilty of that sometimes where what we need to do is go through the conflict because on the other side of that, there's love. And then on the other side of that, there's conflict. On the other side of that, there's love. So that's how it goes. That's just a simple lesson that it's like I got out of studying deeper this short little lecture. Right. And it's not even just, it's not even just conflict. I think it's, I think it's just discomfort in general. It's doing things that you wouldn't normally do. And if you push yourself to do those things, I would say 99% of the time, if not a hundred percent of the time, you are glad that you did it. That's a weird thing about cancer survivors, right? Is that you ask them about their journey and they're, they always, almost always say that they're glad that it happened to them. And that's, that's a really interesting thing to think about because it's almost like, it's almost like when you know how bad things can be, you want to, it makes you embrace what's good even more. I just want to ask straightforwardly, like, what is it that you find that motivates you to, to do the things that you do? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think for a long time, for like most of my life, mm. it was, and I hate to say this cause it sounds shallow, but it was, it was the approval of others. Yeah. As I've gotten older, and I'm not that old, 27, mm. um, but, but as, I, as I progress in life, it has shifted more to the, from the approval of others to just the improvement of myself. Mm. And when I, when I noticed originally that when I shifted my focus from pleasing others to pleasing myself, mm. others were more pleased, you know? Yeah, or... Like, do you mean more like not necessarily pleasing yourself, but making yourself better? Yeah. Like when I focused on like- Just clarifying, it's not hedonism, it's personal growth and maturity rather than pleasing others. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's more like just when I, when I started to care about how I felt about how, where I was in my right, life right, right. instead of where other people thought I was, mm -hmm. not only did I feel better about myself, but other people- responded well to that as well right, right. So. because it, i think it's more authentic but like okay to you because it, it seems like you've gone through some metamorphosis like i listened to that, pod Boone's podcast, yeah, yeah, I listened to that, that podcast the other day with you and boone yeah but what is it that you would say is success to you man i hate to sound like a uh, like a peterson parrot but i just want to know that where i'm at now is better than where i was at then mm -hmm. you know and then being like any arbitrary time in the past, any time that antedates us, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. I just want to know that I'm, it's, and it's not even just like personal things, like knowing that I'm more knowledgeable mm -hmm. or I'm smarter. It's, it's knowing that I'm more reliable for my family and I'm a more reliable member of my community. And, I, and I'm, you know, ex operating in the world in such a way that makes other people's lives better, even if it's just a little exchange at the grocery store, better right. than I was able to do when I was, when I was a young man. So it's, right. just, it's, just, it's just being better. And, and, you know, I think some people in this modern day try to make it seem like trying to be better is, 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 a, is a self, is like, a, is somehow um, like, like superficial. Yeah. And I, I don't think that at all. I think trying to be better is the only thing you can ever do in this life that's worthwhile. What do you think then is failure to you? Failure to me is, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think failing is the best thing that can ever happen to you as mm -hmm. a person.
I think to fail means that you know now what not to do mm-hmm. or, or what to do next time. Yeah. And, and I think failure is, is something that should be embraced and not something that should be denigrated. I was thinking about this last night and I, I don't know if you saw it, but I, I posted this, this question. I think it was Wayne Gretzky who said, yeah. you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Real quick, Wayne Gretzky is a hockey player? Yeah, yeah. well, he's retired now, but okay, he was checking. like- Just checking. I'm not a big hockey person, but it's kind of a famous quote of his. And the reason that that came to mind, because I was thinking about some of this myself too, and it goes into how you were answering the question, because any failure is a good failure. Like even a missed shot is a good missed shot because Mm -hmm. I've learned how to better miss shots and, you know, get, get better at making my, take better shots and uh, shoot better shots, not just in a game, but in life. Anyway, so I posed the, the question to the group and I got some interesting answers, the Facebook group. The way that then I thought to think of it is, well, one, do you miss all the shots you take or you miss none of the shots you take? Because I think sometimes that's kind of how we are sort of lazy, quote unquote. That's what they say with like the lazy thing is people are often lazy because they're afraid of failure is the real thing going on. So it, it's like if they don't try, then they didn't fail. I, I guess sometimes I'm thinking, moving forward, I want to be a failure at times because I actually failed trying compared to failing for not trying. I just said the answer is you you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, but you don't want to just then take all the shots. You want to get better at shot selection in life, whatever that is, whether it's a podcast, a book, a job, relationships, anything you want to get better at taking the right shots and then making those things more successful. Right. Embracing the failure part of it. Yeah. You don't want to be like bad at guitar your first time and then be like, okay, well then I'm going to move on to the violin. Right. You know, cause that's just a process in your, your learning process. Right. Probably. Yeah. And another caveat to that too, is that, yeah. and I wanted to just qualify the statement yeah. of failure is a good thing is failure is only good if you're paying attention, you know, cause you can right. fail. Right. And then not learn from it because you either mm-hmm. convince yourself that it was somebody else betraying you or some other yeah, external victim, force yeah. that was against you. Yeah, you're a victim. Uh, but if you if you just look at it from the perspective of, well, I did this and I didn't do it correctly, mm. th- that's the only way you're going to learn from it. So I just wanted to qualify that statement of failure is good. Failure is only good if you're, if, you're, if you're listening. Yeah, although you're absolutely right. And so I think the thing is mostly about your trajectory. So if your trajectory is mm-hmm. improvement, then you're doing well. If it's going down, you're doing bad. But you can always redeem the past. So even if you weren't paying attention, but at some point in your life, you're trying to change the traje- trajectory or the pattern of behavior or right. the, the direction, you can look back at your past failures, even if they were years ago, and then you can start to redeem the past and transform it into a better future. Right, but I, yeah. that, that makes sense. But, you ha- but in order to do that, you have to be like, you know, it's like that Carl Jung quote, until, yeah. until you're 40, you're just collecting data. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to think about that because I'm not even close to 40 yet. Mm. And I hate to think that like, I'm not even living life really. I'm just collecting information you're doing to, research. to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Right, you're doing research, yeah. I was gonna mention that sometimes I don't like to, people aren't always comfortable with the whole like, I'm your age, you're that age thing, but I'm, I'm 38. It's in, an interesting time because then it's like, I can have people that are 20 or 40 years older than me that can kind of be like the father or the wise old man archetype. Mm-hmm. Then I can also relate to someone about half my age and sort of be like a father figure to them in a way. The middle age is really interesting yeah. to sort of be that bridge between the old folk and the young folk. 
but mainly right now I'm trying to get through that middle transition part of completing the night sea journey because not everybody's able to do that. Almost completing my research, I guess, <laughs> of, you know, until you're about 40, which is something Carl Jung talked about a lot, which I think is really important. I should probably play that in one of the um, episode double zero or something. Stages of life essay by Carl Jung. It's the four stages of life, right? I, I almost think of it biological. So biologically, pre-puberty is one thing, you're, you're a child. Mm-hmm. Puberty until right. what I would call was language that they didn't fully have back then, but I would call it the fully developed brain stage, which is you know when you're about 25 or 26, because brain and body are still becoming finished, forming, becoming full-grown yeah. until you're about 25-ish, right. sort of like an extended adolescent period, which is almost like the Nietzschean, a young adult is a camel, and then the lion that says no yeah. to the dragon, and then as he gets older, he becomes old man that's a child. <laughs> so right now, you're kind of, they, sometimes they call that the uh, warrior phase, where you just got to go out and challenge the yeah. world, and that sharpens you up on the inside. And so that's kind of like what you're going through. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I kind of feel like I'm at that phase where I like, I'm just like tossing ideas out into the universe and seeing what comes back. But, you know, I have a, I have a friend named Therese and he kind of opened my eyes to this idea that no matter what happens, Mm. and you can tell me if you feel this way, you're always going to look back to your older self. That was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago and think, man, what an idiot. Like, why would I say that? Like even, even, Today, mm-hmm. my friend Devon posted a podcast that we did together a mm-hmm. year ago. Yeah. And, and I couldn't help but feel like, man, I was a child. Like, I, even though it was yeah. one year. I've learned, I guess, maybe even just recently, at whatever stage I'm at, even if I'm dealing with grown-up children or I'm dealing with people that you might call idiots or whatever, to right. look at people with pity, including my old self. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, okay, I had a lot to learn a year or two, three years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was. But you know, even like this stages of life idea, there's some ideas like this that I really wish everybody could kind of like get a hold of because people often look at it as like a 20 year old is the same thing as a 40 year old or an 80 year old because of this whole like equality yeah. thing of the times when it's like, uh, yeah, maybe they have a lot of the same rights and things like that. They're not the same thing. You know, right. You go through a lot of changes over time. You know, you're, you're, you have a whole new body every seven years, every, on every cellular level. And it's the same thing in your mind and who you are. It's constantly changing. So you would rather feel pity towards your old self than feel anger or animosity, which actually makes sense to me. You know, BJ one time was telling me about a situation in his life where he was angry at somebody. Mm. And my first reaction was to be like, BJ, like, you should have told that person off and just been like, you know, whatever. And he was like, yeah, but I think the, the healthier thing to do would be to transmute that anger into pity. And that's because that's even really though, key even though the, pity the is healthy. not necessarily. Well, that's really key because I've talked about this a couple of times, but if you have anger that you can't necessarily transmute other ways, sometimes it's, it's good to take it and harness it in certain ways. Like I've talked about how Robert Greene when he writes his books, he says a lot of them he writes out of anger. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you just look at his interviews, he's just a very cool, normal guy. He's Zen and everything. Right. But, and, his, and you can feel it coming through in his books too. He writes out of anger. Sure. The thing with anger is it's not like you should never be that. Right. But there's a time and place for it. You just need to control the anger rather than 
be controlled by it. Like I could be angry at you and I could not, you know, I could deal with that at a personal level and not, you know, there, I, not, not to say that there aren't some situations where you shouldn't make the other person aware that you're angry at them. Like there are, there are times when you should say, Hey, I'm angry at you because you did this. But I think there are also times where you can deal with the anger personally and maybe realize that it says something about you more than it does about them. A year and a half ago, I took that five factor test was it understandingyourself.com? Oh, that's Jordan Peterson's? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was interesting is he says normally in any of those dimensions, there's the five and then there's, I think, like two subcategories within each of the five. Sure. Normally, there's never a big change. We're kind of hardwired and sometimes there might be little changes. The big change for me, because I took it a year and a half ago and then a few months ago, it was like from, I think... 10 percentile up to like 60 percentile was politeness and <laughs> mm. it's but the, the politeness category is mainly someone who has like a disrespect or a lack of understanding for authority mm. and i thought maybe i would have become more compassionate for the same reason although it's about the same but the reason i think that happened is because basically I used to like have a largely negative view of those in authority. And sometimes I do when it's maybe appropriate, but I look at it now as yeah. those in authority, if they're that way, they're victims of the, the mob or the herd or those underneath them. Sometimes that's not like necessarily justifying some of the things that they do, but you've got to un better understand that, that position that they're in. So what I think that do does to kind of BJ's point is, Instead of just being angry, like I want to go like hold signs in the street or go looting because I'm angry at some authority. Right. I, I transmute that, I guess, into we're all kind of victims of this whole system and then we can do something better with it. I would wage, and I don't mm. know if this is true for sure because I'm not a clinical psychologist or anything mm -hmm. like that, but I would wage that if there was to be a difference mm -hmm. in personality over a long period of time for anybody, any given person, I would wage that it would be just that. Would it yeah, would be like changing the respect for authority. You know, I, there's there's a slight amount of conformity that I think is healthy yeah, yeah. throughout aging. And maybe not everybody has that mm. or or has the, you know, like the mm. the life experiences to foster that, but I think for the most part everybody gets a little bit more to a level where they adhere to certain societal principles more than more than a child would or more than a more than a teenager would. Well, and this kind of all I think somewhat ties into what we were talking about a few minutes ago and where so sort of want to go with it, which is going through failure, even though it's necessary, it can be intimidating and just even scary. And again, that's why a lot of people they don't try us just because they would rather you know, feel like no shots taken as no shots missed, where it's, you know, kind of the other way around. But what is the best way that you found or what have you found to help yourself find bravery and courage to face what could be a lot of failure? It's kind of a personal life experience, but I'll tell you anyway. Mm -hmm. I one time was at my work, which was a bar slash restaurant. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I saw a bunch of old friends that I went to high school with, like maybe like four dudes. And mm. I went up to him because I was on, I was working and I was like, what's up, guys? How you been? Mm. And they were like, oh, Connor, what's up? How are you? Like, good to see you. They were like, and, they, and, and then and then they made fun of me for like the fact that I put videos out on Facebook all the time. Yeah. And then and, and I thought about it for a long time. And I realized those people who were making fun of me, 
mm-hmm. haven't done shit other than do really safe things. Right, right, right. Like, you know, go the route that everybody else goes, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that route. As long as you're not going to, you know, um, undermine other people who don't take that same path. But I just could tell that there was that consistency that like the reason they want to, they want to throw me under the bus because I've taken the past, the path less traveled is right. because they have decided that they want to do things this, in, in such a way that's so safe that mm-hmm. they could never fail. That's definitely an issue because if you go off the normal safe paths, we'll say mm-hmm. that's almost always going to happen. Like if you become, especially anything in the creative world or anything entrepreneurial or anything with some risk involved, it's kind of right. society's job for better and worse to be like, ah, you're crazy. Don't do that. That's a good point too. Better and That's worse. That's an interesting it's, point too. It's both yeah. because you have to think about these things and take them seriously. Like, okay, I hate to, <laughs> we almost apologize all the time for bringing up good old uh, JP. That's one thing that he talks about a lot is- The good doctor. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he talks about how creativity is good and important and all those things, but it's very hard to monetize. Right. Which is important. People need to, and which is why- I look at a lot of people like us and some others that we know, you got to understand like with podcasting like this, it's a creative entrepreneurial endeavor where it's just like a business. It might not be profitable if anything for a year or two or three years. So you've got to look at it like, like we kind of started a conversation with there's the aspect of it's going to give you personal growth, give you additional relationships and it's going to, help you in a lot of other ways than just financially. And, and it's just going to be something that you enjoy. And I think that's the way you have to look at any creative endeavor. You have to enjoy it. And, and side note, I think yeah. that creativity is, is going to be really rewarded in the next, I mean, we're already seeing inklings of that. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Rogan just made a hundred million. Some people say 200 million from podcasting. I mean, yeah. and, and that's, that's not, not even a, the biggest one. Like there's another deal I heard about that was 500 million. Uh, from somebody who like signed a somebody I forget now they were in the sports podcast sort of world it's the pre-distribution where you know only I've I've even looked at the stats of you know who what percentage gets a lot of downloads it's something like one percent one or two percent gets like the vast majority of the downloads when it comes to podcasting but then there's another five percent that gets like still a lot but then about half of them are, are going to get like 200-ish downloads. Sure. I've been thinking about this a lot though. And I think it's, I think creativity is going to become like construction mm-hmm. because, you know, like construction is like, yeah, there's obviously still the Pareto distribution exists in construction where the, 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 the best constructors or iron workers or pipe fitters or whatever are going to make the most money, right. but there's still enough money to go around for everybody to mm-hmm. where even the lowest construction level worker can make $20 an hour. And I think, and we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast with BJ, mm-hmm. but I think as automation starts right, to right, take right. over jobs and I'm not, I'm not making a pitch for UBI. It's untested technology. Well, I still don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. It could, it, it sounds good in theory. I think a lot of the things that sound good to us don't actually always work, but it could work. I think if it did creative people would really thrive and, and just, yeah, have enough you know, to go around for everything. It, it almost makes me think of, again, you know who, but it, it's like there's so many creative people getting into things like this. But then the, the problem is it's just all creative people. 
Sure. Which is fine, but there needs to be like a threshold creative partnered with the conservative type, which are going to add, mm-hmm. add that sort of structure to it. And then uh, because the creative people need, and I don't know oh. if part of the whole, like, like we talked about when we were on a few weeks ago that I believe in UBI, but not from the government, from the private sector, or maybe a little bit of a, um, sure. A, we talked about a, that, a yeah. hybrid, but the, and the reason that can work is because it's already sort of working, whether you're driving for Uber or now delivery is really big with uh, COVID and everything. And right. where you can just in your spare time easily make more than a thousand dollars a month, which is what UBI is supposed to be. Uh, and, right. it, and it doesn't all have to be with a car. You know, there's, there's lots of other things where you can do it on your own time and uh, other jobs like that. And I would say podcasting and these creative things are the same way, but the only thing is the, money aspect to it has to be more than getting donations and it has to be more than getting sponsors. So there has to be right. something attached to it. That'll be a, a cash flow If it's going to become, if it's going to become. Preferred. Right. And that's an interesting point. And as somebody from a personal experience, I, I do Lyft and I do Uber and I do grocery delivery in my own car. And, and I thought about that too. I thought about that for a long time. Mm. However, it's, it, Real quick, I'll just add the caveat that it is a good job for creative people. You don't have a boss. Yeah. You choose your own hours. You kind of get to be a, like a free flowy type of person. And that's like who I am. So that's, that works for me. Yeah, I've done so. However, 10 years from now, that won't be a reality. These jobs will be taken right. over by cars and automation and stuff like that. Right. I also sometimes wonder, and maybe this will take us in a little bit of a different direction, mm. but I sometimes wonder if the automation can someday be so good that it can actually take over the jobs of creative people too. Like will, will mm. automated systems be able to write a better book well, or, or make a song or, 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 or did, construct a better piece of art? Yeah. Did, did you read, you all know Harari's, did you read his other two books, not just Sapiens or either? The, I've heard two. other people talk about him, but I've, I'm not oh, well read on that. Oh, on you, that. You, you, right. Yeah. You definitely should, or at least the audio books, the audio books. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Uh, one thing he does go into that. I forget if it was his 21st century 21 questions or his homo deus, uh, which is all about man becoming God in a way with, you know, the, the way that automation and technology is going. But anyway, he makes the, po- right. he, he explores that idea quite a bit of how much that is feasible for technology to take over creativity. And he explores it. I don't think it's really feasible, but the, the way that I do look at it. Have you seen the art that the Google uh, AI was able to make? Oh, yeah. Back in the um, day, it was like, it, this was like six years ago. Yeah. It was yeah, pretty yeah. impressive, so though. There's, of course, good, all kinds of good art that can be put out by AI and all that. There, there's no question. But in the, even that, it only works because it's an extension of the human mind. That's true. And, you know, Nietzsche once said um, that writing is not worth reading unless it was written in a man's blood. And I feel like that's one thing that yeah. robots won't be able to emulate is the, is the like deep understanding of what mm-hmm. it means to be a human and then to translate right. that and, 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 and transpire that into a story. That's I mean, perfect. okay, to, to take that to another level, the only way that would ever sort of like work on a real level and this kind of gets into some of the like sci-fi theory of it is if 
AI could be to a, a, a level where it's really learning like real human conscious mm -hmm. learns and matures. So basically like if there's whatever real AI is out there, it's really smart, but it has the maturity level of like a three or four year old. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it could go through the maturity stages, like a, like a person potentially can do, uh, then that's where potentially mm. an AI could become something deep, creative, and all those things. But I don't think, okay, so even if um, AI becomes super creative sure. and everything else, I don't think they would become so creative that it would replace what humans are just because uh, we've been in the game for so long of being human and being <laughs> the most intelligent right. thing that there is and everything else. But I don't know. It's what it's, about, uh, it's really boldly going. That, no one's that makes before. me think about simulation, right? The idea that you could program mm -hmm. a world that's literally got like mm -hmm. down to the. I mean, it, it's not possible now, but it seems feasible in the hundred years from now that they could program a world that literally, yeah. within a limited framework, has every molecule and every atom programmed into it, and then construct beings that are mm -hmm. that are programmed exactly and identically like human beings with every single neuron and every single mm -hmm. memory you don't you don't think that a that a that a limited framework like that could foster that kind of creativity like if it's indistinguishable from reality potentially at least in theory yes but, you don't, but maybe what you're saying uh, is you don't think that human beings will ever be able to get mm -hmm. to a point where they can exactly program a simulation like that well, maybe, or maybe it can program itself. And I think that's the only way is if, if it learns to, to code or program and then yeah. it can create itself to new levels, this is the way, okay. And what if they think, slightly tweaked those neurons to where they were just slightly better, you know? If, I mean, yeah, I yeah. Or one step at a time until they're a lot better. Right. I would say just from my understanding that I've learned the last few years of consciousness, what makes it so highly mysteriously infinitely advanced is this aspect of it is the individuality and the collective both mm. so the what i think would make a potential ai um almost infinitely who knows how good it could get and even not just good at being intelligent and everything but having compassion and something like maturity too is rather than making a super AI, you make billions of above average AIs okay. and you program into each of these what failure will be. Mm. And, and so failure might be something that we're afraid of, like uh, tries to take over the world or, or even just behaves immorally or uh, all these directions that we might want a person to go. Dude, with. have you ever thought about writing fiction? That's a great I, I, plot. I for... about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Dude. I, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make a graphic novel of it, but I, I you almost shouldn't be that. saying this right now. But it's a good idea, like to make it so like failure is the fundamental aspect that we forgot to program into AI. And once somebody figured it out, the AI just took off. That's a great idea. And another step further, because this is looking at sort of like how that our consciousness evolution has gotten here is because stupid people died before they could procreate for the most part uh right so that that's how that that we're we're here and and even like stupid uh villages and tribes got wiped out by better ones which right. was kind of the advantage 
at least from an evolutionary or Darwinian perspective mm. for so long. Uh, now, of course, we're trying to eliminate tribalism and all that. So anyway, basically, if one of these nodes in the network of billions of computers fails, it has to restart. Oh. Uh, and, and so, but if it doesn't fail, or maybe there would be like a certain failure threshold or whatever, if it doesn't fail, then it keeps improving the network of billions of nodes within the network. Uh, so that's the way to program to guard, guard against the uh, things we're afraid of with AI, but also foster the environment where it can become uh, something that'll potentially cure cancer and mental illness and all those other things that we're trying to get AI to do. Yeah, that's, that's my thing. That's a brilliant story idea. And it's like, too, like, <laughs> it, it, the node in the network that failed also, like if you could add this mm. caveat to it, is that the, the mm. node in the network, once it failed, because I'll tell you, like, I don't know if you, I don't know if anyone knows this, but I've had three podcasts as of now. Like I had, I had, I had the voices of last time, which is just like, it was just like me and my friends, like getting high and like talking about yeah. whatever and yeah. in my house. And it was so all over the place and it, I wasn't very seasoned or whatever. So I, I, it's all on private on YouTube. Maybe someday I'll just like open the phone. out some of the good stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, but, and then, and then it was the daily discussion, which was like slightly better. I'm hoping that the mm. archive is slightly better than the daily discussion, but I, I feel that way about, about life that mm. you have to fail in order to restart. Mm -hmm. And then when you restart, you're better equipped, which is, which goes back to this whole theme of this, what we've been talking about today is that yeah. failure is a good thing. If you're willing mm -hmm. to like learn from that failure and refine your right. process note in the network could be yeah. like that. Like if you gave it the right. ability to understand its failure, not just mm. program it to be able to fail, but program it to be able to recognize when it fails. And that way it can rebuild well, that. Right, which is what, right, which is what all this is about, our communities and everything else, is recognize our own failure. And because we survived that, you know, like it's something I talked to BJ and some others about, where we had almost done so stupid things that could have killed us or put us in jail, you know, those kind of things. But because thank God we're alive and not in jail, like almost like Me a too. node in the network that, yeah, that got deleted or restarted. Then we're able to go out and help the whole network potentially raise its consciousness, awareness, whatever you want to call it. And so that's what we're doing, just like a computer network could do of, of AI. And although the, the thing about the, the human aspect of it is, dude, you know, the, the, this is the reason we're not like making millions yeah. of dollars or maybe we should be is because people right. have to want to, to change and mature where most people don't want to go through that. This is a synchronistic moment because literally today <laughs> I, I picked up, I was doing Uber and I picked up a girl. Mm. She, she must've been like 18 and she was mm. on her way to court and she had stolen something from Walmart. And mm. you know, I, I never stole, I never gotten in trouble for stealing anything. Like me and my friends used to steal candy from the gas station, but I never got caught or anything like that. But she got caught like stealing clothes from Walmart and she was so scared. Like she was, she was just trembling. She was so scared mm. about the judgment of society being bestowed upon her. And mm. she told me this whole like story that she had to tell. Um, and, and I don't know what, what happened. So I hope my advice worked, but because I had been <laughs> through the court system before, I, I, yeah. I thought, I've thought about this a lot. You know, I've, I've thought about what it's like to be a judge or what it's like to be a cop mm. and, and stuff. And she had this whole like convoluted story that just, I'm telling you, it didn't make sense. It did. I, yeah. I listened to it. I told her, I said, that doesn't make sense. And I, and I was super nice about it, but I was like, look, 
you have to realize that these people on the other end of you get lied to and they get people who yeah. make excuses all day long. So in my personal experience and in my opinion, and you could take it with a grain of salt, the best mm -hmm. thing you can do is just right, to, right. say, this is what I did. I wasn't thinking straight that day. I, mm -hmm. I, I lied about it to the cop because I, and, and now I'm starting to think about what it means to lie and how lying right. isn't a good long-term strategy. So right, in this right. moment, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And this is what happened. And I, and I, and I, and I now see the error in my ways. And I think that that was a set. And just, and if you heard her mm. story, you would know that that's a way yeah. better strategy than the one that she yeah. had formulating in her head. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, the, the, the judges, they're so uh, used to, like the, their BS right. detectors are, are just ready to go. And then once they, they sense it, they're, then they just throw the book at them. But on the other hand, what people want to do, uh, maybe this is for somebody who might, we all face the court system here and there in life, whether it's- And it was uh, her first offense, dude. She wasn't, yeah, she yeah, wasn't yeah. going to get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the way that the system is supposed to work is it's not supposed to work like, okay, you did a crime, so we're going to destroy you. Right. The way it's supposed to work is it's supposed to be a, a reformative thing. So anytime that you go through their procedures and give them the paper trail that they want, you know, that's why- a lot of times, if you even get in trouble for violence, at least for a first offense, they will let it go with anger management class. Right. I've never done that, but I know people who have. Right. And it's because they, they want to see improvement rather than it's just like, okay, we're going to destroy people who break the law. Right. And again, this is more of like our node of the network sort of theory, which it's, it's cool to kind of like uh, build on. And you know, that's, that's the sad thing is that... A lot of times, maybe because someone like her or just a regular person going through a regular tough time in life, we're afraid to go out and say, hey, look, I did this and that, that I regret, but I want to do better. And that's where I see podcasting coming in and some other things, not, not completely, but right. especially because, you know, there's so many things that aren't there like they used to be. Like the church isn't there like it used to be, which would kind of be like a community that could maybe right. help somebody who's going through a tough time like that right. or whatever. And the families used to be a lot stronger. And I think those are the two biggest things. There used to be a bigger sense of community in the, in the village or the church structure or whatever. Yeah. And there would be families. And now it's not there. So we have to be there for each other other ways. Yeah. Po podcasting is therapy, man. And, and you know, yeah, I, never, I never heard anybody say that until, I don't know if you know about recently, they tried to cancel Joey Diaz because he, like 20 years ago on a Joe Rogan podcast, said <laughs> something about, you saw this? He was like, oh, no, but he was like, cancel culture. He, he, yeah, well, he, he tried, he basically was making light of the fact that he had offered these women stage time at this comedy club in exchange for sexual favors. And it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, well, like, we could debate about that for forever. Like wh whether or not, like if it's, if it's immoral yeah. that somebody wants something so much that they're willing to trade it for you because that's how badly they're, they're, they're eager for it. I think there's a fine line between there, there's a moral issue there for sure. But he was making light of it. And, you know, and I kind of was like, I, I didn't know how to feel. I was like torn in the middle. And then when he mm. responded to it, he said something like, look, like I've made amends. I'm a comedian. Right, right, right. I, it's my job to make light of things. And, and part of it is that it's therapeutic. When I do these podcasts right, with right. people, I'm making light of my past because that's a coping mechanism for something that I did that was wrong. And, and I feel like that's, that's something that I've experienced on these podcasts is that I get to talk mm -hmm. about things 
not just that I've done that are wrong, yeah. but things that I think that are wrong. And then someone corrects me and it's not like my ego is like, oh, how dare they correct me? It works the same way if you just get somebody else to open up. Like I've had just in the short, right. you know, 12 or 14 episodes that I've done, I've had uh, sometimes people just really open up about things. I mean, nothing like too personal, you know, that shouldn't necessarily be public, but just to open up about something that you normally wouldn't and it's in a, in a public space, it can be it can be healing even just to to be part of right. it. I mean, I've I've done some of that, but j- just to be part of it, it's again, it's because that's what we used to go through in the community, the village, the family, the the church. Are you familiar with the twelve steps? Uh, yeah, and I've I've never really had a drug or alcohol problem, but I do believe yeah, me either. Something like that needs to be more just like a part of our culture. Yeah. Well, my parents sent me to rehab for pot when I was a kid and they, they, they literally apologized to me for it mm. this day, to this day. Like they, they feel so bad because they've come a long way with pot or whatever, but um, I got really familiar with the 12 steps and I thought it was interesting that the final step was that now that you have achieved all these mm. goals and you've, and you've actualized as a person and realized that you're, you know, that th- these things don't define you, the final 12th step is that your job is now to help another person get right, through right. those 11 steps. I think that's, a, I think that's, I actually don't think AA and NA works that well. Like it's as far as like the, the percentage of people who actually recover through NA, like it seems like they always relapse. I think religious experiences actually work better. But the one idea that mm. I thought was really good in the 12 steps was that you, you mm. go back and you, and you find someone else who, you can see an old right. version of you inside of and yeah. you help them. That, like that's how, that's uh, when I started this group a, a year ago, it was called uh, Helps to Help. Just based on that idea that I kind of figured out randomly myself is that if I want to like help myself get through a tough time or help myself heal, the best thing I can do is try to find somebody else and say, hey, look, uh, I'm not like necessarily an expert, but I've been through that and here's, kind of how to get yeah. through it or at least i can tell you that it's possible to get through it yeah and then help others to, nec- to hopefully do the same oh it's like that prolific uncle iroh quote where he's talking to katara i think and he says mm-hmm. uh they're walking yeah do you remember have you seen all the avatar the last airbender uh no i'll have to anyway they're walking down this cave you had you really have to okay and and she says to him like oh you know like i don't know how to help this person and she goes or, or she said i don't know how to help myself uh-huh. And he said, sometimes the only way to help yourself is to help another person. And that's yeah. like, that is so true. Cause sometimes you're in a situation where you don't necessarily have control, mm-hmm. but what you do have control over always is how, what you invoke in other people mm-hmm. or what you would not, not necessarily actually, it's what you attempt to evoke, mm-hmm. invoke in other people. And you can refine that process as you age and, and be better and better at, you know, saying things and doing things that help other people see the way you see it's like it's like um it's like that idea that like you know jordan peterson you know back to the yeah. the good doctor the good doctor anything you do for some for a kid that they can do themselves you're actually hurting them yeah but same thing for a senior them, yeah exactly and if you can but if you instead you can show them this is how you do it properly that's better it's like that old saying like you you can lead a horse to the water but you can't teach it how to drink like you can all you can do is help them see the right way you can't actually help like force them to do it right because what the, the difference is well there's a, there's a lot of things there but uh it, it kind of gets into the question i think i we touched on just a little bit which was 
like what gives us bravery to, you know, overcome the potential adversity or, you know, overcome the potential failure. And in the end, you know, it might sound old school or, or whatever, but in the end, you've just got to do it. And although in doing it, the temptation is be like, somebody help me or do it for me or whatever. Yeah. But the really what you want to do is do it and then also help others to do whatever that they're afraid of, because that's, uh, I think, one of the highest virtues or uh, and, and one that people can't really argue with is virtuous is to become brave or courageous to, to be able to, to face the fear of the world or to face the fear that's there. And, you know, and then it's all about just doing it. If nobody ever did anything that was extreme or, or, you know, to strive to transcend mm -hmm. mediocrity, you would never find somebody else to help you with it because right. nobody would have ever done it. Like, you know, like today's, I've been having some weird reactions to food that I never had before. Okay. So today I'm, I'm day two on keto. Okay. And it's like, I know it sounds so douchey, but I, I hit up my uncle because he's yeah, done yeah. it before. And, and I'm like, I'm like, Hey dude, like I'm having, like I'm having these weird reactions to food. I'm about mm -hmm. to do keto. Like what should I expect? And I'm, I'm just so lucky to live in the world. Not only where the internet exists and I can reach out to people all over the world, but where other people have done things right, that right, are right. hard. So that I can ask them, how did you right. do that? Well, yeah, because there, I guess you know? there's there's two aspects to it. One is the aspect of you just got to do it. But then the other is I, and this sort of like consciousness, evolution, maturity, whatever, is knowing when to, before you do it, seek advice, counsel, study, whatever, uh, especially that right. you might know or others that you can reach that, that have gone through it before. Uh, not that you're going to say, okay, do it for me or or whatever along those lines, but how have you done it? What are some of the things? Because that that instills bravery in you right away, and it and instills an obligation right. that now it's like, because I got this advice or whatever, I've got to go and do it. <laughs> you know, I don't want because I'm not the person who's going to be the first one to try it. Like, and and yeah. there have been those people, right? Like the the people mm. who said, "Oh, I'm going to try to put this seed that I could mm -hmm. eat into the ground right. and just see what the fuck happens." And, and, right, right. and, you know, cause that's nutrients that you could have had, but you're trying to delay gratification or whatever, like Jonathan Haidt talks about. Yeah. And because people tried that things worked out for everybody else. I'm not, not the guy who just mm -hmm. like, who's, who's so quick to be like, let's try something new. But, but I am the guy. And, and I think this is important to look to other people who have done it first and be like, well, they, they clearly know more than me. So I could probably learn something from them. And that's, and that's a little, and then that gets us into a conversation about like separating ego, mm -hmm. you know, like not being so caught up and just being right all the time or feeling like, you know, all the answers. Yeah. Or, uh, just being able to go through discomfort, some affliction to your ego or affliction to pride. Uh, well, it's because it, this is something I talk about a lot. It's, it's a feel good culture that we're in right now. So it's so anti-cultural to do anything sure. that would make you uncomfortable or, yeah. or especially to advise anybody else to do anything that would right. make them uncomfortable, which is so backwards when it's like, right. that's how that we can have better health is go through the discomfort of better diet and exercise. It's how we can right. propagate the species and, you know, have children. It's going to be uncomfortable, like every step of the way, uh, but rewarding every step of the way. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a cultural thing for sure. Yeah. Unless you're in the gyms the gyms feel like it's maybe people like people do promote that, but 
anything yeah. else like writing a book or taking on some creative endeavor or reading a book yeah. for that matter like those things seem yeah. like why, why would you waste your time with that when you could be making money it's like well because you know there's right there's other things other than just making money i wanted to touch on um yeah an interesting topic into your uh new uh personal background it's out in the public now that you are a newly engaged young man so congratulations on that <laughs> but i'm wondering appreciate that as you, you, you made that decision personally, but also for the culture in general, where do we think that marriage is at in the society right now? Cause it's mm. definitely different from even 10 years ago and definitely from 50 or hundred years ago. Well, I still maintain mm. that monogamous couples mm. do better with children. I mean, right. that's the Peterson thing, right? I think that the evidence for that is overwhelming. Mm. Um, Everybody that I've known who's like been married and tried to get somebody else involved, like it didn't, it ended in disaster. Right, right, right. So I think, I think marriage is something that's a good thing. Mm. Um, and you know, I, God, I hate to say this because it sounds so preachy, but the Bible does say that a, like a person who finds themselves a spouse mm -hmm. will be blessed by the Lord. And I don't necessarily know if I believe that at a metaphysical level, mm. I think I do, but not everybody does. But at an even deeper level, I think that there's something about that that it was a patternistic recognition yeah, yeah. that people over a long period of time recognized that having that person to hold you accountable mm -hmm. and, and to also support you in times where you need support was beneficial in the long run and it, it just inherently good. Right. And I think that's why quotes like that make it a book that's lasted for thousands of years. Yeah, I agree with you. But the, the other aspect that I think maybe takes it to another level that I didn't realize when I went through uh, my marriage. Yeah. One thing that I learned, though, that I, I don't know, maybe I can hand down to others is those first years or months, whether that is uh, whatever the relationship is, where it becomes right. that stage or something like it, there is that extended whether you yep. want to call it honeymoon slash uh, honeymoon yeah cupcake phase the yeah that and puppy love whatever yeah and it is sort of like the Jungian anima animus projection where sure. you're sort of in a fantasy world which is good it's yeah like not necessarily that you shouldn't do let that me just or be that real quick just say that it has been a long time since we were mm. in that phase and one of the yeah. reasons why i and this is i think this is going to be good advice for other people too one of the yeah. reasons why i knew that aaron was i was supposed to be with aaron is mm. because it wasn't that we you know we we fight a lot mm. and and i realized at the end of every fight you know because then you're in the, when you're in the moment in the fight you always feel like you're right and then you have like to, the swans yes exactly and then you have to go back and reflect and be like okay yeah, yeah. well there's actually an inkling of truth in what she said and, mm. and I could learn from that if I just put my ego aside, which is like the whole theme of like this whole podcast. We're really, we're really doing a good job keeping it all together. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's part of the reason why I knew that she was the right one for me because she doesn't whisper sweet nothings into my ear, you know? It's, it's stuff that I need to hear. Yeah. Uh, that's uncomfortable. But how, how long were you guys together, by the way? Three, three years. Okay. And um, yeah, the, because this so you're this is probably all good timing but the i guess follow-up point i was making to that is that somewhere in this realm it is where it starts to get real where you become somewhat although it's tricky to be to what you were just saying that 
maybe it wasn't a total fantasy world for you guys like it is for most people. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know how that will play out differently. But at some point, it becomes more like you're just real people. And yeah, where, where most people go wrong, maybe I did and most people did to whatever degree, is that part is really tough when it becomes like you're, you're just real people with yeah. all your issues and whatever else. Yeah, it's tough. And, and, but it's a mountainous commitment. But if you then make that commitment to be with each other, maybe even have kids at whatever point and do all the things that you then do, then that's when like the amazing stuff happens potentially. But so few people make it there. Yeah. Uh, that's like, I don't know. I don't know what the percentage might be, but that's like those rare uh awesome couples be yeah and it's because most people don't understand that or, or really really you know grasp that. yeah and i think another thing about it you ever read this oh god there's this cheesy corny bullshit book called the five love languages which it, it, i hate it so much but there is something I, i've read but there's it. something it has, it has some good it points. Has, there's something there right there's this idea that we all yeah. have different ways of not only showing love to others but receiving it so like Right, right. Aaron and I's love languages are completely and radically different. Like the way that I show mm. love is like I do things for people. Like I cook a meal or I, or I pick up the house or mm. whatever. I do acts of service, you know, like I try to do things. For people. Right. That's not the way that she prefers to receive love. So like it just, and, but, but because of that mm. and because I feel like I've been diligent in trying to, you know, not change myself, but just grow in those, those facets where I'm not fully developed. It's, it's worked out. And she's done the same thing for me. Like, the right. you, you know, she, I don't think the way that she likes to show love is, is through acts of service, but she does acts of service for me because she knows that that's what's important to me. And because we've made, and, and, and it's not just that we do it unconsciously, right? Like mm. we're talking about this stuff all the time and saying, mm. this is what like, and I'm not telling you this, I'm telling anyone who's listening. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, got, we've got an audience, but because we're talking about it and, and compromising mm. and trying to figure out what the right way to do things are. I think that's, yeah, we're nodes in the network. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're no, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's different nodes in the network, but, but different, all the nodes have to ultimately work together in order for there to be an overarching construct. So. Right. Right. Cause the, the nodes that will help each other and the nodes that will be humble enough to take the help are the nodes that will grow right the, the nodes that do the opposite want to be like victims are the ones that are either gonna be reset or should be reset but because maybe some others have so much compassion they're just dragging they're just kind of hold, right. holding everybody yeah, else down exactly. <laughs> to wrap around yeah. the metaphor but to uh wrap up the, the marriage metaphor the nodes that sort of are able to uh, come together and be like a yin yang node in the togetherness, then they're able to do things that they could never do uh, separately. But that's only when they get to that next level of past that first right. few months or couple of years. So it's uh, it's an exciting adventure. I'm excited for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that because uh, I, I saw that you posted that thing, that that old quote of me where I was saying that I, I feel like oh. I helped oh, yeah, yeah. bring everybody together, but I really am glad yeah, that I, I literally through that have made so many good friends like you and yeah. Boone and BJ, who I basically live eight minutes from now. Like I moved 
states so that I could start this podcast with BJ. You actually met BJ through uh, through the daily discussion only like what a year or two ago. Yeah, but he knew Devon. You know Devon. Oh. Well, not very well, but he, I don't yeah. Know. But you've seen him post in the Daily Discussion. I'm I'm really mm. good friends with Devon, and I've I've had Devon mm. like live with me before, and, and, oh, okay. and him and I grew up together, kind of. Well, we grew up in the same city, and then became friends later. But uh, he knew Devon, so like that was like our mutual friend or whatever. Okay, and, and BJ okay. grew up in Washington, so yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, okay. I, but I'm re- but I will just take this opportunity to plug uh, the archive. Yeah. Yeah. BJ and I are starting this podcast. You know, you see you see these books behind me. Mm. BJ has a garage full of 10 of these shelves, maybe 12, mm-hmm. all filled with books. And that's the reason why we decided to call it the archive is because our studio is literally just like a wall of books everywhere. Wow. And um, I'm excited and I, and I'm for it. I'm about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't know how much we'd be able to get into that or the influence that you had on this show, which has been huge to help me kind of um, get... Well, that, the dailies, that, man. The da- well, the dailies. I, uh, yeah, I don't ever... The the thing with us is that we're so similar, like different personalities, yeah. but similar in our thinking for the most part, or, or maybe our beliefs. Sure. Very similar. Then that can have its um, its positives, but I yeah, we're we're not necessarily trying to copy off each other. We just feed off each other in in good ways. Totally. But uh, but yeah, I mean, actually that that little clip that I posted that was the very first time I did any kind of uh, live or anything. I could barely figure out how to get to work. And then that formed into the, the live discussions on Facebook that formed into this. So you, you're a part of it and we're excited. And I just hope you get your thing launched soon. Yeah, man. My absence was good. It was good soul searching yeah. and stuff, but I'm, I'm ready to come back and, and be a part of the whole system. Any new predictions on the timeline? Before- as far as like when the content should come out, we're going to do like a video on Wednesday and probably release okay. it on Thursday or Friday where we're just going to, it's not going to be like where we're going to go over anything profound or anything like that. But um, we're just, kind of, we just want to make sure that our old listeners are still know that we're coming. So we're going to do like a little okay video. We yeah. ordered equipment. The mics mm. that we ordered are on back order. So, but we should oh, receive yeah. them in like two to three weeks. And then once that happens, we have like, we have an Evernote account where we have like 10 outlines ready to go. So we'll probably wow. just do them all in like the same week. And yeah, I mean, the only start, start a schedule, you know? Yeah, definitely do all those things you plan to do. But at some point you got to just uh, let her rip. So we're, we're, we're exciting. Yeah. And dude, you're killing it right now, dude. Like, so yeah. thank you for like your content. Cause it keeps yeah. me going when I'm, when I see your, your content and how you get all these interesting guests on, it motivates me and it motivates BJ for sure. Yeah. So. And I'm just, I'm just, yeah, you keep it up. I'm just man. going for it. So like I said, it's, it's a learning experience. I'm glad you're a part of it. Can't wait till your thing is going and I'll go be on your show and we'll dig a little deeper in all these. And so yeah, this Can't has been wait. good. Do you have anything else to add or anything that? No, dude, just thanks for, thanks for being my friend, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, always. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so keep it up and watch out for the archives big drop here in the next couple weeks. It's exciting stuff. Peace. Welcome to the Daily Archetype, a value-sharing community. When swans start to mate, they're not sure what they're supposed to do. And they they begin to fight. I had a long talk about this with with C.G. Jung. He lived uh, on the edge of Lake Zurich. And he had a little summer house right on the water's edge, and there were many swans there. And I was getting up after, at the end of a conversation with him, and we were beginning to walk back to the main house, and I said, isn't it true that swans are monogamous? 
And he said, yes, uh, they are. He said, do you know, I have had most interesting relationships between these swans and many of my female patients who thought they were homosexual. I mean, Jung wasn't a uh, sexual snob. I mean, he, he understood all the legitimacy of all kinds of sexual variations. But he said, it has been a point of departure for our discussions. And he said, it's a very funny thing that when they begin to mate, they start fighting. And they don't know what it's all about, and then suddenly the fight turns into lovemaking. So that's what I mean. Underneath opposition, there is love. Underneath duality, there's unity. That Tweedledum and Tweedledee agreed to have a battle. So, if you see that, if you, if you get that principle, you can feel yourself not sort of just rattling around in the world as a kind of, um, you know, somebody who's been stuck down there. But you can feel yourself going on in absolutely exact relationship with everything around you. And this is very beautiful. It isn't just that you are here looking at what's out there, like you might be photographing it with your eyes. It's that if that there wasn't there, you wouldn't be here. The outside thing that you see and the inside thing that you are are poles of the same magnet, or back and front of the same coin, and without one there isn't the other. Bringing complex ideas down to earth, based on their value, not group identity. This is the Daily Archetype. If you want someone to remain ignorant, just make sure they think in groups of identity rather than groups of values. Let's promote understanding, not ignorance. This is the Daily Archetype.